to Week in Review, where we recap events and issues pertinent to Central Illinois. I'm WMBD Radio News Director Will Stevenson. Peoria police say they're ready to implement a new state law that allows for mental health professionals to respond to some calls along with police officers. Governor J.B. Pritzker signed the law establishing the pilot program in Peoria last year. There's $3 million in the state budget this year to fund it in Peoria and several other cities. On Friday, State Representative Jahan Gordon Booth, who crafted the law, Peoria Police Chief Eric Echevarria, who came up with the idea, and others attended a news conference at Peoria Police Headquarters talking about the program's implementation. And that bill was not only the co-responder model, but it was also um, the Victims Witness Protection Fund. So we were able to combine both policies because we know that in order for communities to be safer, we have to solve crime. In order to solve crime, there has to be a relationship between police and community. So we know that when police are responding to crises, crises, we want them to be able to put people in the adequate position to be able to move forward in a manner that allows them to put the pieces of their life back together. We also know that there are instances where not just a mental health professional is necessary, but we absolutely need the police to respond because potentially someone has lost their life or very close to it. We know that this community, this community has had no shortage of those kinds of crimes. And we know how difficult those crimes are to solve. And in order for police to be able to solve those crimes, we need people to be able to come forward. We need those individuals to be willing to bear witness to what they experienced. And oftentimes, that requires for them to put their safety at risk. So we also want to ensure that those individuals who are willing to bear witness to said crimes have the ability to remain safe. So we'll have the ability to potentially move someone out of the home, out of the neighborhood that they're living in, to move to a safer place, to be able to bear witness to law enforcement, to be able to bring justice to those families that need it so desperately. So when we're talking about public safety and 21st century policing, Peoria is a phenomenal example of how we go about doing just that. And we thought that it was important that we express to the community that this $3 million investment and this co-responder model that is a national model in this country that is being born right here in the city of Peoria we believe that it's important for the community to understand what we have right here in front of our faces. That we have something that's, that we should be incredibly proud of. That we have a leadership team that has prepared to move our community forward in a manner that allows us to be safer, to be more united, and to be together. I could not be more proud to work with an individual um, in the Senate who anytime I come up with, I come up with all kinds of ideas. If you, <laughs> if you don't know me, I come up with a lot of ideas. And uh, this, this gentleman is always someone, whether it's my idea or it's his idea, we have been a partner and a tag team for the last 10 plus years. This work would not be possible without the individual that you will hear from next. And that's none other than Senator David Kaler. Let me first of all point out that we have a legislator in training right here. <laughs> so, <laughs> way to go, John. Uh, 
this is an important moment because, uh, in a sense, it, it puts pressure on all of us in the community. Right? It puts pressure on law enforcement, and, and thank goodness, uh, Chief, that, uh, that we have your leadership and the dedication of men and women in, in your department because they do an excellent job. But it puts pressure on, on law enforcement to be able to be more creative in how they respond to community issues. It puts pressure on us as a community because we have to step up and be a partner in that. You know, we can't just say this is a police issue. It's not, it's a community issue. And uh, the one thing that I, I want to make real clear, because we've heard a lot of political rhetoric in the past, this is how you fund the police, how you fund law enforcement. You put your money out there, and long ago somebody told me that if, if it doesn't show up in your budget, it's not really a priority. This is a priority. And uh, we have uh, Leader Gordon Booth to thank for bringing this across the finish line. Yeah, I'm very proud. I think that what, what we're going to see is that Peoria is going to set, you know, the bar and be, you know, the, uh, the best practice of how this is done in our community. When we get all the community engaged in terms of really solving the issues that our families out in the neighborhoods face, uh, then we're going to have something to show for that. So I'm very proud to be a part of this. Let's give a big hand to a very creative and a very good police chief. Keep up. To, to, to echo the senator, uh, yes, we are going to set the standard for what policing should look like in the future and in the present. Um, I, I, I really want to, you know, Representative Booth, uh, Gordon Booth, thank you for believing. I, I was a new chief here, and and I came up with this, I, you know, hey, I got this idea, and we got many grand ideas at the police department as well. Um, <laughs> But for you to take a chance and believe and, and say, you know, I think we can do this and, and work through it, I guarantee you and I guarantee the city that we're gonna make every effort to make sure this succeeds and it is beyond your expectations. Uh, but this doesn't happen, I, I'm the face of the police department, quite frankly. There is a team behind me at the PD, uh, the assistant chief, the captains, the, the lieutenants, the officers, the professional staff, uh, Jenny, our grant manager, our coordinator, who who now has to manage all of this for us and keep us on task. And when I tell you that she keeps us on task, she keeps us on task. Um, she should be the chief, you know, according to her. <laughs> Constantly telling us what to do, how to do it, where to go, and hey, this money needs to be here, get us this, get us this information. So Jenny, thank you, uh, keeping us on task on that. But it's, uh, it, it's an honor that we are able to, you know, Put something like this forward. It's going to be housed at the Wisconsin substation. Carl Held. And in the beginning, I, I should go back just a little bit as well. Um, when this idea came about, there was some conversation. It wasn't just at the police department. You know, then Unity Point, now Carl, uh, Monica Hendrickson and her team, uh, and everybody else we spoke to, I said, how do we make this happen? AMT, uh, how do we make this happen? How do we, how do we push something like this forward? Here's a concept, here's an idea. Um, you know, we can't keep policing the same way. We're not going to arrest our, our way out of this situation when we talk about mental and behavioral health. And we have to use the right tool. Yes, can I take a screwdriver and get a nail in the wall? It's gonna take me a little bit longer. But if I have the right tool to put that nail in, then we're gonna get the right results. And that's what we wanna do in, in Peoria. And when we talk about victims, we also have to build trust. And if we have a mechanism in place where we have social workers that help build that trust and we're not victimizing victims further, 
then we again, we start building trust, legitimacy, transparency with our community, and they start to believe in what we're doing. And we need that buy-in from our community. But again, we need the proper tools in place. And this is what this provides. This provides the proper tools for us, along with the other tools that we have in place. This is not just, this alone is gonna fix everything. We'll continue to implement. We are going to hire this director. The, the position is out. So please go on the Carl website. Uh, go on our social media, the link is there. We are hiring through Carl Health. We will hire a director for our social services unit. I think it's titled as a manager on, on their page. Um, and once we have this director, this director will take the on uh, as the lead project manager in the build out of the building. We have cars already on order for our social, uh, social workers. Um, they will be part of the hiring of, of these social workers. This director needs to have uh, their voice heard and what we want to see in these social workers and what the policies are going to be moving forward and how it's going to work. But it's going to be very independent of the police department in the sense that this director will report directly to me. No red tape in, in, a, in a command structure where they need to report to a sergeant, then a lieutenant, then a captain, then the assistant chief and myself. No, they will report directly to me. They will have the freedom and the ability to do the things they need to do and will have a full budget. Thanks again to, to our state representative, Jahan Gordon Booth, who believed in this and was able to push it forward. And again, I want to thank the team at the police department because we can come up with all the ideas in the corner office, but our team needs to believe in that. And I think we have an agency. I know we have an agency from our professional staff to our officers, to the command staff, to believe in what we want to do and the vision of really engaging our community differently and impacting our community in a new, innovative way. We'll hear more about the Police Mental Health Co-Responder Program with more Week in Review coming up. You're listening to a news conference held on Friday involving Peoria Police. State Representative Jahan Gordon Booth and State Senator Dave Kaler, among others, talking about the brand new pilot program that Peoria and other cities are implementing, allowing for mental health professionals to respond to certain police calls where perhaps mental health treatment and counseling may be needed. We continue listening to the press conference now with Monica Hendrickson of the Peoria City County Health Department. The Peoria City County Health Department, along with many of our community leaders, have seen mental health issues increase drastically in the past few years. Um, while this innovative approach and the idea and the funding is relatively new, all of us in our silos understood this problem existed. Whether it was our hospital systems that saw unnecessary ER visits, um, our share of housing individuals that were clearly in a mental health crisis, as well as even just community partners that didn't understand why they, it was the either or, it was arresting or hospitalization. And so when we worked in our silos, we kind of understood it and recognized it. But clearly what this program is able to do is demonstrate what happens when these silos start breaking down. Um, I always like to recognize the fact that um, while he was a new, very new uh, police chief, I think within the first three weeks, I got a request for a meeting from the police chief, the health department administrator and the police chief that often is not necessarily a combination you see, but that was just a recognition about the ideas and the energy that they want to bring to Peoria. And so from the health department standpoint, as well as you know, tasked with looking at the well-being of our full community, this is a partnership that we are so excited about to have not only that health department involved in a kind of accountability and understanding what the metrics were able to change, but also seeing what it can be done when law enforcement and healthcare work together on a, on a shared idea and a shared vision. 
So we're very excited to be working with the uh, um, police department, as well as then the other key community partner, which is Carl Trillium Place, which will be supporting the mental health efforts. Um, and even though it's gone through a few changes, it has been a continuous um, stakeholder in these conversations, understanding the impact it has on their operations, as well as their clients that they see. So oftentimes they don't see their clients in crisis. That falls upon our law enforcement. So again, it's that comprehensive approach that when proper training and proper tools are utilized, we can see great impact. And so to talk a little bit more about that detail, I'll turn it over to the Executive Director of Community Services for Trillium Place, Dr. Derek Booth. This effort of the co-responder program is a, a collective effort and a collaborative effort. Uh, the issues that we have in our community uh, take a comprehensive approach. Uh, that's why it's so good to look out into the crowd and also see our justice advocates who work with our youth that are going through the criminal justice system. We see our pastors, we see uh, individuals from AMT, uh, we see individuals from a lot of our community programs. And this is just another piece to that puzzle to provide those resources and supports to the individuals in our community. As has been mentioned, uh, one of the things that's very important is that when individuals are in crisis, uh, that they get the, the needed supports uh, and services that they need. Uh, we also see individuals from our community college here as well. Uh, and, and so when police respond to calls, one of the things we, we want to do is connect them to those needed services. And one of the things I've been fortunate to see over the last several months is the, the amount of services and supports that are available through Trillium Place, which is an affiliate of Carl Health. Uh, we're the leader in uh, behavioral health, mental health. We're the leader in SUD services. And so we talk a lot about mental health, but when there's responses to calls that involve addiction or substance use, uh, one of the things we want to do is connect them to services. Every morning we get on a huddle to talk about individuals that go through our ED that could have been maybe utilized the su supports and services of mental health, of behavioral health, of SUD, inpatient, outpatient. And one of the things we want to do is not just respond to those calls to assist with de-escalation, but we want to also connect with those individuals to keep them engaged in services. Uh, this is not just a, a one response to a call. There's going to be follow-up, there's going to be case management, uh, there's going to be making sure they connect to services. And we also understand that this is not an approach that just requires an appointment card. Uh, we're going to continue to work with them. We're going to continue to build that trust with them to make sure that they're connected to services to reduce the number of 911 calls that come to respond to these calls, to reduce the number of ED visits that individuals have in the community that really need support services and resources versus incarceration. Uh, and so I've been uh, fortunate to to work for Trillium Place and to, to be to have access to these services and to connect individuals to these services. And I want to introduce you to uh, our president of Trillium Place, uh, um, Mary Thompson, who will speak to you next. To me, that demonstrates the commitment of this community to this need. Um, as you've been hearing from all the other speakers, this is quite an innovative model. What's really inspiring to me, um, having had a long career in mental health, is a lot of times we have these sidling of services. Police are doing their work, we're doing our work in healthcare, and sometimes they don't come together. And what this model does is brings all of these resources and support together. Everyone here is motivated by the same goal, which is to provide the right care at the right time, at the right place. And I think often too about our police and our law enforcement who are challenged to address mental health and substance abuse concerns um, in a law enforcement situation, how difficult for them. And then for us on the behavioral health side, we're always wondering, how can we best reach someone? How can we make them, uh, get them to the services that they need? So this model is a great example of how local, county, state, everyone comes together to really wrap services around uh, citizens who need it. 
I also really like this model because it not only responds to the crisis situations, but then also supports individuals after that crisis and continues that care throughout uh, their experience. So again, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you for being here and for your commitment to this project. I don't think it, yes, it, it takes off the burden, but it's quite frankly, uh, we keep using the police to do jobs that police shouldn't be doing, right? And so this is where you've seen nationally, think back in the last few years, some of the issues that we see in, in policing. Well, it's happened because we're using police for things that police shouldn't be used for, but we don't have the luxury to say no. So you call 911, we gotta come. Well, we wanna have the proper people doing the proper work. So when we talk about mental and behavioral health, quite frankly, these aren't situations all the time there may be a situation where an arrest is appropriate, right? Because a serious crime was committed. But quite oftentimes, there is no arrest that needs to happen. We show up on a call, we put the Band-Aid on, and we move on to the next call. Well, we wanna not just put a Band-Aid on, we wanna be able to do some work on that. You know, I'm not a doctor, but if it needs surgery, it doesn't need a Band-Aid. So we wanna be able to have the social workers to be quickly be able to take that over, figure out what's needed, and then if we need to move that person on to the other services, then that's what we're able to do. And the police officers can now go on and do police work and the social workers and these directors can now deal with the mental and behavioral health, specifically getting them the correct resources, not the police. The plan is to hire eight licensed clinical social workers. Did I get that right? Yes. LTSW, I always messed that up, right? So we're, that's the plan, to hire them. We're gonna have staggered shifts. Each of them will have their own vehicles, which are already been uh, ordered. And they'll be able to respond to calls when we need them, if we need more uh, social workers in a, on an evening call, for example, uh, or we have a, a mass situation where we need more of them, they'll be able to respond. But we're going to stagger them so we have different, different licensed clinical social workers on, on different shifts. At some point, as we continue to build our staff on the police department side, we want to create a team that also will respond with them when we have a barricaded subject, when we have a, a situation where we may have a victim and a suspect, and we need to deal with that victim. We've ordered vehicles as part of this already where, you know, quite often what we have now is you have a victim of a crime in a scenario like that who we need to speak with on the scene. Where do we put them? In a squad car. Right? We don't want the victim, we want the victim to have some dignity and feel. And then quite often, right, we live in a society that everybody wants to pull out this and let's take a video of the situation, further victimizing our victim and pushing that information out. We want to get rid of that. So we have vehicles that will, will serve as mobile offices, right? mobile conference rooms, mobile interview rooms to be able in a private setting on scene, be able to get somebody in there if we have to relocate them, relocate them but be able to speak to them and deal with that victim while we may also be dealing with a suspect somewhere else that's involved with that. More Week in Review coming up. Also on Friday of this week, Governor J.B. Pritzker signed three bills that he says will help give Native Americans in Illinois the respect they deserve. He did so in the Chicago suburb of Schaumburg. These bills before us represents the collective efforts of many the culmination of countless hours of deliberation, collaboration, and constructive dialogue. It is a testament to the spirit of our community and the tireless dedication 
of our lawmakers and representatives who have worked diligently to draft and refine this legislation. Through this signing ceremony, we witness the transformation of ideas to reality. These bills embody the hopes and aspirations of our community designed to address crucial issues, improve lives, and shape a brighter future for all. Today, we celebrate not only the signing of these bills, but also the values they uphold. It reflects the seventh generation teaching, which reminds us to think of the seventh generations ahead in our words and our action, and to remember the seventh generation who came before us. HB 3413 Native American Remains enables us to honor those generations that came before us. SB 1446 Dress Code Policy ensures that our students are able to wear any article of clothing and item that have cultural or, significant, cultural or religious significance in school and graduation ceremonies. HB 1633 Native American History establishes every public elementary school and high school to include in its curriculum a unit of instruction studying the events of the Native American experience and Native American history within the Midwest and the state of, of Illinois since time immemorial. I extend my deepest appreciation to all those who have contributed to the formulation and the passage of these bills, including our dedicated public servants, experts, and the countless community members who provided their invaluable input and support. A heartfelt thank you to the Prairie Band Potawatomi Tribal Council and royalty for their support. Chimiguetch to the various working groups and individuals that have tirelessly put their time and efforts into these works. And a miigwech to Nimki Curley, Turtle Clan Ojibwe from Luapalo Island and Black Sheep Salt Clan Navajo Diné for his courage. I would especially like to acknowledge and thank all our relations, the grandparents, parents, caregivers, and artists who for many generations continue to uphold the traditions, beliefs, culture, and language, and so lovingly share. To all you, say, to all you I say, Iguian. It is moments like these that reaffirm our ability to overcome challenges together. As we move forward, let us continue to foster a culture of dialogue, collaboration, and unity so that we may continue to work that may, so that we may continue the work that lies ahead. Together, let us embrace the positive changes these bills bring and work towards a future that is brighter and more inclusive for all. May these bills stand as a symbol of our collective resolve for a better tomorrow. Miigwech. Can we all stand for an honor song? And at this time, we would like to honor Governor, Pritz, Governor Pritzker with a blanket. The blanket is a symbol of warmth and friendship and a demonstration of honor. In our tradition, a blanket is used to create and seal relationships. Thank you very much to Gina Roxas, and uh, your kind introduction is met with uh, similar kindness uh, on my part, a belief in what we're doing here. I think we all share uh, the feeling that something important is really happening right here today. 
Um, thank you to the wonderful dancers and to the Iron Bear singers. Thank you for sharing the beauty of your culture and your traditions uh, through song and dance. I really am honored to be here at the Trickster Cultural Center alongside Representative Maurice West and Representative Mark Walker, Representative Michelle Mussman, uh, Senator Laura Murphy, Senator uh, Gloiak Hilton, the chairperson of the Prairie Band Potawatomi Tribal Council, uh, Joseph Zeke Rupnik, and so many local leaders here and national leaders that have joined us today. Uh, we are here to celebrate three new laws that we will enact today to support, to uplift, and to protect Illinois' Native American communities. Here in Illinois, we believe in justice, and we won't hide from the truth. The Buell House is a site on the Cherokee Trail of Tears. The Pierre Menard home was once home to a French-Canadian businessman and fur trader who ruled over local Native American reservations. The Kincaid Mounds contains the remains of a destroyed Native American city. All three of these sites are located within our state's borders and they represent some of the ugliest parts of our history. It's up to us to right the wrongs of the past and to chart a new course, one that educates our people so we won't repeat the sins of the past. It's a past that we must now be accountable for, that we must fight uh, for equity and inclusion to make sure that we are living up to our ideals. Today, we take another step forward to repair generations of harm and to build a brighter future for our state's Native American and indigenous peoples. For decades, activists, Native Americans, Illinois Department of Natural Resources alike have been advocating for legislation that sets into law the proper treatment of Native remains on state land. Well, in just a few moments, I will proudly sign HB 3413, establishing the Human Remains Protection Act and directing the Department of Natural Resources to create state burial sites in collaboration with tribal nations while increasing criminal penalties for those who disturb human burial sites, remains, and grave artifacts. Though she is no longer with us, I'd like to recognize our former Illinois State Museum director, Cinnamon Catlin Legutko, a once-in-a-generation advocate who helped to make this bill a reality. May the memory of her continue to bless us all. Cinnamon was an educator at heart and believed it was critical that young Illinoisans learn the truth about our history so they can grow into informed and compassionate citizens of today and tomorrow. So I think she would be pleased to know that I will also sign HB 1633, amending the school code and adding Native American history to the genocide and Holocaust instructional requirements for graduation from high school in Illinois all while creating a curriculum advisory council and task force to review and recommend supplemental resources for Native American history instruction. 
It's also true that Native American students deserve to represent their heritage in a, the way that they present themselves. This seems like a given to me, but in Senator Susie Glowiak Hilton's district, a student was denied the opportunity to walk to his graduation ceremony because he was wearing culturally significant Native American regalia on his graduation cap. That's just wrong. That student, Nimki Curley, is here with us today. And to Nimki, thank you for being a catalyst for change. You should never have been denied the opportunity to walk alongside your classmates, and we will all work tirelessly to protect and expand your right to be who you are. So I will sign SB 1446 to prohibit school boards from having policies that infringe on the rights of students to wear or accessorize graduation attire with items associated with their cultural, ethnic, or religious identity, including any other protected category identified in the Illinois Human Rights Act. And a huge thank you to Senator Susie Glowiak Hilton for bringing this critical issue to our attention and making sure that this bill landed on my desk, in fact, on this desk today. To every activist, to every organizer, tribal leader, and legislator who made today possible, thank you for your unyielding efforts to make sure that accurate history is told and protected. I know that for many of you, it's been a very long road to get here. And I remain committed to ensuring our Native American communities are heard, seen, and respected. More Week in Review coming up. By the time you hear this program, the annual St. Jude Telethon will have either just been about ready to take place or have completed. Depending on when you hear, officials were hoping to raise at least $10 million, same as last year, from the telethon for the Children's Research Hospital in Memphis that helps treat and look for cures to childhood cancers and research. There have been a number of runs for a number of decades now, including the Memphis to Peoria run, the main one, along with a number of other satellite runs across the region. WMBD producer Caleb Kelch has been running some this week. Caleb spoke on Thursday with WMBD's Julia Bradley and Craig Collins. Caleb, when, you're, when it's your turn to run, how long do you run? Is it like a half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour? How long? Well, it varies. So we have, uh, we have usually in each eight-hour shift for each team, we'll have uh, eight to nine legs. And within those legs, it's like anywhere from a total of five and a half to seven miles, typically. And wow. then those are broken down into two different segments. Okay. And so you'll sign up for either the first half or the second half of that segment. Usually, a segment is between three to three and uh, how many years have you been doing this, Caleb? This is my sixth year. Sixth year, did you say? Yep. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Uh, have you seen any sort of, like, growth? Are there more people running this year? Uh, what are some of your takeaways from each year that you do this? Oh, boy. Well, I think one of the things you take away is just the community aspect that you get from it, even those that might not necessarily run but uh, are attached to it in some way. I mean, you're just you're connected in such a, a way that it's hard to describe. You know, outside of that, I would say the numbers have stayed fairly steady for the most part. Um, 
But another big thing is I feel like every year the weather just gets worse. Like the weather, like we had some really bad storms. Yeah, the, the weather gets worse. And we had some really bad storms early this morning into most of the morning. Um, and finally, we're you know, sunny, but it is getting hot. So when you're out running in these uh, these rural areas, I know you talked about how sometimes you guys will lose self service and things like that. We're in in these yeah. smaller towns. Do people come out and like like cheer you on? Is that something you guys see a lot during the run back to Peoria? Um, we don't see it as much. So in Memphis, there's a huge showing of people on St. Jude campus and also just in the city. In Tennessee, sometimes we get uh, different semis, maybe a lot of running, honking at us, you know, uh, different cars passing by. Kentucky, not as much, but when we get into Illinois, especially, yeah. there you people go. know it's us. And, yeah. and people really do, especially as we get on Saturday morning when we get into the central Illinois area, yeah. like Bloomington, Sarah, that people show up. And, yeah, we is, there, is there an online map or something people can find about uh, times that you guys are in these locations? Is there a way to track you guys at all? Uh, so our St. Jude Runs Facebook page or stjuderuns.org has all the info there. Cool. I believe there is some sort of map there and that there's constantly different updates. Thank you to people, all sorts of different stuff um, that you can find. Again, St. Jude Runs Facebook page or St. Jude yeah, I'm uh, kind of impressed to know that this has been going on for 41 years, this specific run from Memphis to Peoria, and it's raised $76 million in donations for St. Jude. Yeah, huge. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit, Caleb, before I let you go about the importance of St. Jude? Well, I think the biggest thing is the fact that this is such an important cause overall. It's something that I think, especially for being part of a younger generation, is one that we kind of don't always Yes, yes, okay. Another part part of that is it's a, it's very close to my family, uh, especially on, on my dad's side. Sure. It gives me uh, two of my cousins. Uh, cancer patients, one in particular was a St. Jude patient. Um, both children, uh, younger children at the time, and uh, both have unfortunately passed. Uh, and it's just one of those things where just regardless of uh, being a senior patient or not, uh, having childhood cancer, those two, and yeah. having that connection, and then having the senior connection, and then on top of that, um, yeah. knowing that you know you have family members that have been lost due to childhood cancer, you but you also know people who have you know, survivors. It's, it's just one of those things where, regardless of what side you're coming from, where you're coming from, even if you don't even have a personal opinion whatsoever, yeah. you just... You know, that's one of my favorite things about this run is everyone has some sort of reason why, and our reason why is important to every single one of us and as a collective as well. Like, it, yeah. it, it doesn't matter why you're doing it. It's yeah. the fact that you're doing it, and you care. Like, no, it's so big. I, absolutely. And, and even so, the, the simple mission statement of a St. Jude, uh, to fight childhood cancer and to give no bill uh, to any yeah. person, uh, that you should not be thinking about money when you're trying to uh, cure someone in that age group of something like this. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. I think it's amazing. Uh, Julia, you got some else? Well, I was just going to say that um, I know when uh, Greg and Dan talked to Mike McCoy, of course, one of the founders who is in the same RV with our own Caleb Gelch. Nice. Um, yeah. He said when they started 42 years ago, the the chance of childhood cancer and kids surviving was 8 percent yeah. now on average yes. it's 80 percent and some are in the 90s yeah it's amazing so it's amazing what they yeah. have done through research with yes. st jude uh, what else you got for us caleb on that 
well, so one of the things that we do uh, when we're on campus is we have, the, have a presentation ceremony. We get to hear from uh, some of the staff, nurses, et cetera. We get to see videos of like, former patients, maybe current patients, all this stuff. And lots of tears are shed, believe me. <laughs> but um, one of the things you learn is just all the miraculous things yeah. that St. Jude does day in and day out. And yeah. then to learn on top of that, that a lot of the money, if not every single penny that we have donated over the years for this run in particular, has helped so much of that. All of the incredible, renowned, you know, philosophies, techniques, scientific advancements that are occurring just from St. Um, one big thing that they are really trying to do is, yes, they've done such a great job at allowing that uh, the cancer, childhood cancer rates and survival rate in particular to be so high in the U.S. But globally, it's, it's, it's unfortunately quite low. And so that's something that over the past couple of years and the next, well, forever, they are going to tackle that. And that's sure. a big thing that they're really working on is making St. Jude not only, of course, continue to be national, yes. but really make it global. Well, because we don't, the whole purpose of St. Jude, again, is not to just, not just have anyone who's in this country. It's, it's every childhood who is, you know, is fighting for their life. Yeah. Um, uh, before we let you go, is there any way that people could still donate to you? Is there any website or anything people can go to if they want to, um, uh, you know, support you and your six-year run in this thing? Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. So you can either go to my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page, uh, Caleb Kelch, K-E-L-C-H is my last name, uh, and you can find the link there. Or you can go to stjuderuns.org, again, stjuderuns.org, and uh, you can actually, there is a fundraising little bar there. You can click that tab, and you can click donate to a team or a race and you can find me there and you can donate there. WMBD producer Caleb Kelch running in part of this year's Memphis to Peoria St. Jude run talking this past Thursday with Julia Bradley and Craig Collins. That does it for this edition of Week in Review. Join us at this time next week on this Midwest Communications station for another recap of some of the biggest issues and events in central Illinois. You don't have to wait for Week in Review to get the lowdown on what's happening in central Illinois. For instant news 24-7, follow us at 1470 WMBD on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and at WMBDradio.com or look for the Week in Review podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Will Stevenson, WMBD Radio News.